Well, good evening, folks, and it's lovely to see you all out this evening. And again, we do pray that the Lord has a blessing for us from his word. Uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing in prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, again, we give thee thanks for the Lord's day. We thank thee for this evening. We thank thee for what we have heard this day, and we do pray that we might apply it to our hearts. And, O oh God, our Father, as the word goes forth this evening, we know that your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we do pray that each and every one of us may, may be uplifted in our most holy faith. And should there be any in our midst or anyone listening in that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, may even this evening be a time when they repent of their sin and acknowledge him. Father, we just pray that you take your speaker, hide him behind the cross, let no man be seen save Jesus only. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory in our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you once again for the opportunity to uh, bring the Word of God to our hearts. And uh, this message I've called, The Boy Who Became King. The Boy Who Became King. And uh, I've preached it once before but I've revised it ten times and so uh, bear with me as we go through it I'll probably speak a little bit longer than what I normally do but uh, of the Lord I believe now recently uh, we have seen a man who became king at 75 years of age uh, King Charles and I were born within a month of each other and he became king I'm still lowly old Derek but he's 75 and he's the king and uh, he waited a long time to become king, King Charles III. And we've also seen a lady who became a queen, Mary of Denmark, and originally from Tasmania. Tonight I want to speak about a boy who became king. And of course, that was David, the shepherd boy, who became king. And as we go through this message, we will see that David failed on many occasions and many areas of his life. Yet God records in his eternal word that David was a man after God's own heart. The prophet Samuel, when rebuking King Saul in 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14, says these words, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And again, in the Acts of the Apostles, verse 22, or chapter 13, verse 22, it says this. And when he had removed him, that is Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Wonderful testimony to have a man after mine own heart. And folks, uh, we will see that even a man so, so highly esteemed by God himself failed in so many areas. But we will also see many of the positives in David's life. Now David is mentioned in the list of the faithful. Please don't turn there because I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, David is mentioned in the list of the faithful in Hebrews 11. Now just take note of this. Abel takes up one verse. Enoch takes up one verse. Other great man, but uh, in Hebrews 11 verse of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful character this man was. Okay, let's look at some of the, uh, let's say, personal details recorded in bread to us. Thank you. First Samuel 16 and verse 12, the word uh, says, he was ruddy. He was ruddy. Uh, now this word, ruddy, is only mentioned four times in God's word. Four times. In First Samuel 16 and verse 12, the Hebrew word, adomi. A-D-O-M-I, Adome, is used, and it means red, ruddy skin. 
The second time ruddy is used is in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 42. And the same Hebrew word is used, adome, red, ruddy skin. This is whenever David was facing Goliath. The third time the word ruddy is used is in Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon 5 and verse 10. And the bride, who is a type of the church, speaks to her beloved and says, My beloved is white and ruddy. And the Hebrew word used here is Adom, A-D-O-M, Adom, which means rich red skin. And the fourth time the word ruddy is used is mentioned in uh, well, first time it's used in fourth time it's used in scripture is found in Lamentations chapter four and verse seven. And here Jeremiah is comparing what Israel was in the past to what they had become. And the Hebrew word here is Adem, A-D-E-M, Adem, and it means made red. Then Lamentations chapter four and verse seven, it says, they were more ruddy in body than rubies. Uh, this is referring to the Nazarites, those who were consecrated to the work of God. Uh, study Numbers chapter 6 in relation to the laws of the Nazarites. And in verse 4 in chapter 8 of Lamentations it says, and this is the difference, this is where Jeremiah is comparing them, they were more ruddy in body than rubies. And then in verse 8 it says, their skin cleaveth to their bones. It is withered. It has become like a stick. In other words, folks, these Nazarites who made a vow to follow the Lord and to be obedient to his word and to keep themselves clean had become sickly, totally unhealthy, spiritually speaking. They had left their first love, the Lord God of Israel. Now the question that we all need to ask ourselves is, how healthy are we, spiritually speaking? In 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 12, in relation to young David, he was healthy, he was ruddy, he, he was going about his father's business. He was tending the sheep. He was feeding the sheep. He was protecting the sheep. Likewise, are we healthy, spiritually speaking, when going about our father's business? David was about his father's business, looking after the sheep. When we go about our father's business, are we sound in doctrine? Can we use the sword of the word of God to defend our position and defend the sheep as it were? More about that in minute or two. In 1 Samuel 17 and verse 42, David was healthy, he was ruddy, when facing the enemy of God, Goliath. And the question is, are we able to oppose those who oppose our Lord Jesus Christ? Are we able to get something of the word of God into their head, which will stop them in their tracks? That's what David did. He put something in Goliath's head, which stopped him in his tracks. And we have the word of God, and we need to get it in the people's head, so it will stop them in their tracks, enough to say, well, what must I do to be saved? In Song of Solomon chapter 5 and verse 10, the bride's testimony of her beloved was a healthy one. My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest of 10,000, and she goes on. White and ruddy is pure and red, meaning healthy. And when the unsaved would ask us questions about our faith in God, about our beloved, if you like? Do we answer in glowing terms like the bride in Song of Solomon? Do we have an answer for those who would ask those questions? It was the daughters of Jerusalem that came to the bride in, uh, as she was searching for the bridegroom. 
And they said, what is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou dost so charge us? And she said, my beloved is white and ruddy. My beloved is pure. My, my beloved has rich red blood running through his veins. And she gave a great answer. Now in Lamentations, in Lamentations, chapter 4, I love Lamentations, in Lamentations chapter 4 and verse 7, uh, Jeremiah could see that Israel was healthy at one time in the past. But now they had become sick, totally unhealthy. And here's the question, folks. Have we remained healthy? Or have we become sickly? Remember the day you get saved? Remember the time around about your salvation? Now you don't remember, you, you may not remember a date, you may not remember a day, but you know in the past that there was a day that you got saved and you rejoiced and you were full of enthusiasm, so much so that you went home to your dad and said, I'm not going to back any more horses, I'm not going to play any more cards. That's what I did. And he said, I'll believe it when I see it. And 60 years later, I still haven't backed the horse. Now, of course I won't. But where are you? Are you as enthusiastic as the day you get saved? R remember that time when you were uh, full of energy, full of enthusiasm? Uh, can it be said that you, that we, are still as enthusiastic as the day we were saved? You know, Jeremiah could see that Israel were once healthy and neither had become sickly over a period of time. Now, 1 Samuel 16 and verse 12, the description of David continues and it says, and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. See, he was ruddy, healthy, but he had a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. Now, to put it very succinctly, he was a good-looking young man. Uh, we today would probably say he was very handsome. He was very handsome. He was goodly to look to. And again, in Song of Solomon, in chapter 5, after a long and beautiful description of her beloved, the bride sums him up in verse 16 by saying, Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend. And David is a wonderful type of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's no doubt that David had a beautiful countenance. And David had beautiful features. But David also spoke of beautiful things, as did many others in the Psalms. For this, we turn to the book of Psalms. Now, again, if I was to say, there's 150 Psalms. How many of those Psalms did David write? Let's have a, a little quiz. Nobody's going to be right or wrong. Let's see how close you can get. How many Psalms did David write? Quickly. Down. You're going to be surprised. It surprised me when I studied it, Okay. Uh, David wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms. Asaph wrote 12. Solomon wrote 2. Korah, and I'll explain that in a moment, the Levite family wrote 11. Moses wrote 1. Ethan wrote 1. Haman wrote 1. And others were unknown. So David... We call it the Psalms of David, but he just wrote under half of those Psalms. Amazingly. So, okay, so firstly, let's look at what others said when they spoke of beautiful things. Now, I'm doing this, and I'm going to make an admission here. I'm going to admit my ignorance. When I studied this, I just went through the concordances and looked up beautiful things and said, okay, David... And four or five psalms wrote of beautiful things, and I wrote them all down, attributing them all to David. 
Unfortunately enough, the Lord spoke to me in a way, and uh, I went through those Psalms. I said, hold on here. David didn't write that one. <laughs> David didn't write that one either. And so I'll explain as I go. So in Psalm 48 and verse 2, this was written by the sons of Korah, of the family of Levi. Now before we read that, let me explain this. In Numbers 16, 31 to 33, Korah and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods went down alive into the pit. That, after studying it, means all the men of war of Korah. But if you were to turn to Numbers, and we haven't got time tonight to turn to all these, please do so when you go home, check up, be a Berean, see if I'm telling the truth, which I am. Numbers 26, verses 10 and 11 says, Notwithstanding, that sh let me turn to that so you can read it, okay? So it's in Numbers 26. Numbers 26. I think it's good for us to read this one. Because I've really kind of floored me because uh, uh, I hadn't taken it up before. Uh, Numbers 26 and verse 10. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah. When that company died, what time the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign. Notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. The children of Korah died not. So there you go. In Psalm 48 and verse 2 it says, Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. So beautiful speech to describe beautiful things. And folks, we also are exhorted to use beautiful speech in a godly way. Titus 2 and verse 8 says this, Sound speech that cannot be condemned. Over 60 times speech is spoken about in the New Testament. So it's important, our speech. Another great psalm composed by another whose name is Asaph is recorded in Psalm 50. Psalm 50 and verse 2 which says, Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. The perfection of beauty God has shined. And I believe that evangelist Jim Flanagan summed up the word glory when he said that glory described is the outshining of an inner excellence. And so when we read about the glory of God, it's the outshining of an inner excellence. And God has and will shine his excellent glory upon Mount Zion. It is the perfection of beauty. Now the word Zion means sanctuary or a place of refuge. It can mean a city, the city of Jerusalem, or even Israel as a whole. It is mentioned in the Old Testament 152 times. It's mentioned in Isaiah 46 times alone. It's mentioned in the Psalms 38 times. It's also mentioned seven times in the New Testament, and five of those are quotes from the Old Testament. So, again, another beautiful lesson. So in Psalm 48, Korah's sons speak of beautiful things, beautiful for situation. In Psalm 50, Asaph says, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined. The third psalm we will look at is a psalm by Moses. Psalm 19 verse 17 says, Let the beauty of the Lord our God be seen in us. And here, uh, Moses is asking the Lord for help. He's asking the Lord for help and strength and to establish the work of his hands. And when you go back one verse and verse 16, it says, 
Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. He was concerned about the children. He wanted his offspring, he wanted his children down through the years to know about the glory of God. He was concerned that they would not know. What about us folks? Do we show real concern regarding our offspring, our children, our grandchildren, our nephews, our nieces? At this stage, I want to read a letter which really touches my heart. I hope I can get through it. It's a copy of a letter written by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and it's dated July the 1st, 1890. I have a copy of the actual letter, but I have it also typed out. So bear with me as I go through it. Dear Grace, I was a little while ago at a meeting for prayer where a large number of ministers were gathered together. The subject of prayer was our children. It soon brought the tears to my eyes to hear those good fathers pleading with God for their sons and for their daughters as they went on entreating the Lord to save their families. My heart seemed ready to burst with strong desire for them and for their parents. Dear Grace, you are highly privileged in having parents who pray for you. Your name is known in the courts of heaven. Your case has been laid down before the throne of grace. Do you not pray for yourself? If you do not, why not? If others value your soul, can it be right for you to neglect it? All the entreaties and wrestlings of your father will not save you if you never seek the Lord yourself. You know this. You do not intend to cause grief to dear mother and father, but you do. So long as you are not saved, they can never rest. However obedient and sweet and kind you may be, they will never feel happy about you until you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and so find everlasting salvation. Think of this. Remember how much you have already sinned and none can wash you but the Lord Jesus. When you grow up, you may become very sinful, and none can change your nature and make you holy but the Lord Jesus through his Spirit. You need what father and mother seek for you. You need it now. Why not seek it at once? I heard a father pray, Lord, save our children and save them young. It is never too soon to be safe. Never too soon to be happy. Never too soon to be holy. Jesus loves to receive the young ones. You cannot save yourself. But the great Lord Jesus can save you. Ask him to do it. He that asketh, receiveth. Then trust in Jesus to save you. He can do it. For he died and rose again. That whosoever believeth in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Come and tell Jesus you have sinned. Seek forgiveness. Trust in him. For it is for sure that you will be saved. Then imitate the Lord. Be at home with Jesus as Jesus was at Nazareth. Yours will be a happy home. And your dear father and mother will feel that their dearest wish of their hearts has been granted them. I pray you to think of heaven and hell. For in one of those places you will spend eternity. Meet me in heaven. Meet me at once at the mercy seat. Run upstairs and pray to the great Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yours very lovingly, C.H. Spurgeon. C.H. Spurgeon. What a beautiful letter of concern. A beautiful letter written by a man who was not that old. He started preaching when he was about 17. He had thousands in his congregation. But he had concern for his people. And that was beautiful. Now let's turn to one of my favorite verses in Scripture, which is in Psalm 29. 
Psalm 29, it says this, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. My folks, <laughs> uh, let me just say this. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness is not banging on drums. It's not strumming electric guitars and the like. This is not worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Screaming and shouting and dancing and wriggling on the floor is not worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We used to have a group called the Holy Rollers back in Ireland. And they say, some people say, well, the devil must have got into them. I say the devil's not that stupid. But some of these people were rolling on the floor. They would roll down the aisles and roll out the front door of the church. Holy rollers. That's not worship, folks. That's not worship. Speaking in tongues, babbling, and so forth is not worship. As is repetitious music and worldly music. And folks, we could go on and we know the standards. All oh, this is not worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's what David said. This is actually a psalm of David, this one. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now, we haven't got time to say it because we've got quite a bit to go through. So what is holiness? Well, 1 Peter 1, 15 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, all manner of living. It means obedience. It means reverence. It means set apart. It means giving attention to righteous living. It means devotion. It means trust. It means following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. This would be worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And each one of those points could be expanded quite a bit. Now another great psalm of David is Psalm 27. Psalm 27 and verse 4 says this. One thing, one thing have I desired. The second one thing was added by me, by the way. Okay, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. See, David's desire was to dwell with the Lord all the days of his life and to behold the beauty of the Lord. Folks, if I was to ask you, and of course you have the answer now, but if I was to ask you what you desired most in your life, what would it be? Nice house? Property? Nice car? Good husband? Good wife? All those things are very good. But what is your utmost desire? David's utmost desire was to behold or to take notice or to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And whenever we go into the Word of God, whenever we read the Word of God in our daily devotions, we are seeing the beauty of the Lord expanded right in front of us. As pastor said this morning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so we have the Word of God in our hands. One has said that to worship the Lord and to behold his beauty and to worship him in the beauty of holiness, we must humble ourselves before him and approach him as well as serve him with godly fear, reverence, and awe. One thing have I desired of the Lord is to behold the beauty of the Lord. Okay. David was ruddy and of a goodly appearance. The second thing we looked at, he spoke beautiful things. Beautiful for situation, perfection of beauty. Let the beauty of the Lord be seen in us. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness to behold the beauty of the Lord. So beautiful appearance, David had. Beautiful countenance he had. 
beautiful words he used. David spoke beautiful words, which begs the question, what things do we speak of? Are they beautiful things? What, what is our conversation? It's one thing to come here to church and to speak nice things to the person sitting beside you or whatever. But what do we speak of during the week? Do we speak beautiful things about our Lord Jesus Christ? Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, after a long dissertation, Paul says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And folks, if we think on these good things, we will then speak good things things. Proverbs 23 and verse 7 says this, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Again, what a beautiful character this man was, and what a beautiful character he had. Again, it was once said that the characters of godly people are produced in the storms of life, as well as in the sanctuary of God. Man knows us by our reputation. Even Samuel looked on the outward appearance and God said, no, man looketh upon the outside, but God looketh upon the heart. Only God knows our real character. David's character. Well, it was tried over and over again. And God allowed these things, these testings, to come into his life. Likewise with us, folks, God allows tests, God allows trials, God allows tribulations and storms to come our way because he's molding us and he's conforming us after the likeness of his own son. And we might say, well, why am I going through this? Why do I have to suffer this? God is working in you to conform you to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we think about those things, we would just say, well, praise the Lord for the trials. In all things, give thanks. Because God is working in our lives. Now remember this, and I've said it many times before. The devil tempts us to bring out the worst in us. But God tests us to bring out the best. To bring out the best. Now, David, we haven't got time to go into all this, but David was severely tested at home. There was one time he was very lazy. He was lying on his bed, and he got up, and he went down to the roost, 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. And it was at the time when kings go out to battle. He should have been in the forefront of the battle. He should have been leading his men to defend the, the, the country which he loved. But at the time when kings go out to battle, David remained or stayed at home, which led him to seeing a woman bathing. He looked, he lusted, he lay, he committed adultery, which led to the murder of the woman's husband. Terrible thing. A man after God's own heart, and yet he was severely tested. Later the child died. Later Absalom committed treachery. So David was tested and tried and failed many times. And yet God still loved him. Never think that God's love will wane if you do sin. We have a way to get back to God if we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's a man after God's own heart. Folks, there has been many a good man, and dare I say women, who have handled the pressures of work and business, and they endear themselves to the Lord's people in whichever church they attend. Virtually, seemingly, never putting a foot wrong. But quite often, these same men and women are found wanting at home. Now, I just did some statistics. 
just very few. The latest Australian statistics are one in six women experience physical violence at home. 25 women in Australia died last year because of domestic violence. And even within the ministry, many of us know, Pastor Jane and I could mention 10, several pastors who have failed in their ministry or in their homes, causing them to be disqualified. Pastors who have committed adultery, pastors who have committed fraud, pastors who have pleaded poverty and fleeced their congregation. Listen, David was a godly man, but he was tested and he failed. Let me just ask the question, how's your home life? Are you the man and woman of God that you ought to be? David was certainly tried at home. David was tested in the arena of life. He fought many battles, won many victories. He was involved in many wars. As a young man, he fought a lion and a bear. He fought the enemy of God's people, Goliath. And folks, you and I are in a battle, day and daily. As Elise would say, not with people, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. And I appreciated Elise's dissertation on that fact. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, folks. Our war is not with a person next door. It's not with a person down the street. It's not with what you call your enemy. Our war was in a spiritual battle. A spiritual battle. The, the devil wants to devour us. So what really made David a man after God's own heart? Well, I just want to highlight three things which stand out in David's life. Firstly, he was a servant. Secondly, he was a steward. Thirdly, he was a son. He was a servant. From his youth, this boy who became king was give, well, willing to give his best, even at the risk of his own life. Now, not all of God's servants are saved at a young age. And many are saved later in life. And whether or not they are saved young or older, we ought to appreciate each one of them. Psalm 92 and verse 14 says, They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. Now, I have got some people in this church that I look up to. You remember Mr. and Mrs. Brunken? I wasn't long in the church. They've both gone to be with the Lord. But it really spoke to me whenever I saw them walking up that aisle. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening, and any other time, aged, walking sticks, coming to church. Adolf and Mrs. Kemper, Ian and Ruth Dunn, Doug and Christine, Barbara and Brian, oh, forgive me if I miss you out. But the ones I mentioned have 500 years experience with them. Count it up. Count it up. Over 500. And folks, sometimes the sweetest fruit comes from the more mature trees. But let me say this. And please take it the way I say it, very gracefully. By and large, these are the ones who come to prayer meeting. These are the ones that are here tonight, on a Sunday night. And they're at a prayer meeting praying for you, the young people. I wasn't going to say this, but I might have said it before, but I think I will. I was ashamed of myself whenever I was 22 years of age. Saved. Going to church regularly. And one night, it was freezing cold. 
This is back in Ireland. And the snow had fallen. There's six inches of snow on the ground. It was freezing. It was turning to ice. And I said, I'm not going to go out tonight. It's only the prayer meeting. And the Lord spoke to me. And I went around to the prayer meeting. And just before I got to the door, if I can verify this, there's old Minnie. She had one leg, two crutches, and she's walking through that snow and that ice to come to the prayer meeting. I was 22, very healthy, very strong, and I was very nearly going to stay home. Shame on me. And shame on you. If you are sitting at home tonight when you could be here, I'm going to say this very gracefully. There's about six octogenarians in our congregation tonight, and I know they won't mind me saying that. People who could easily stay home and say, Well, I'm getting up in years. I, I, I can take a rest. I'll be serving the Lord for 70 years. Surely I can stay home and just watch it on the box. Well, shame on you if you're sitting at home when you could be here at church. Then you might say, oh, but we've got a lot of children. Listen, I had mentioned 20 families that brought their children day and night, prayer meeting, every meeting of the week. And God blessed them. You honor God and God will honor you. Your children will not suffer by bringing them to church. I better get off my high horse. But that's the situation. David was a servant from a very young age. He served his father. And in doing so, he was serving his family. He kept his father's sheep. He provided pasture for them. He protected them against the enemy. And even contended with them. Now, if you want to, please turn over to 1 Samuel 17, because this is very interesting, I think. 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 36. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. A lion and a bear. Now, to me, David must have been a very strong young man. And today we need strong young men to carry on the work. The devil walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, did you notice in verse 34 and in verse 36, it says, Thy servant, thy servant, slew both the lamb and the bear. A young man who was ruddy, who was good to look upon, who possessed strength, and now we see humility. He called himself a servant, just like many other great men in the word of God. And sometimes the servant of the Lord needs to act alone. And we need to pray for this man down here. Because very often he has to act alone. Especially when a lamb is in the grip of a lion. Uh, the flock needs protecting. Sometimes, folks, a young one might be going astray. Or a mature one might need help. And sometimes, even after they are secured, you know, the man of God will go out and he would protect them and keep them from being ravaged, as it were. But sometimes, even after they are secured, the old enemy does not give up. And therefore, drastic action is required. Look at verse 35 again. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his, the land, of his, sorry, out of his mouth. And when he arose, this hit me like a ton of bricks. When he arose against me, 
I caught him by his beard, I smote him and slew him. You know, very often if we go out to secure a lamb or to protect one that's going astray, the old devil will turn against us. And when he turned against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. Boy, I would love to have been there when he caught that bear by the beard and gave him one good punch. And that was it. The enemy changed his position. He was no longer after the lamb, but he was after the protector of the lamb. And when he rose up against me, now I believe God gave him the strength that was needed to protect the flock. The king says in verse 33, thou art but a youth. Now let me bring this point to a close and then we'll be fairly quickly after that. Yeah, we're going all right. Very often, what we do when we are young determines what we will do when we are old. And to you young people out there, I love every one of you. To you young people who may be listening in, allow me to say this. It's never too late to start laying down godly principles to live by. You're never too young to lay down godly principles to live by. David truly was God's servant. In Psalm 116, verse 16, he emphasizes it. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant. He mentions it twice. So David was a servant. David was also a steward. And we will cover these last two points very succinctly. As a steward, he left the sheep in the safe hands of a keeper. The Lord had other work for him to do. Uh, he left the sheep with the keeper and as a steward he looked after the sheep he fed the sheep he protected the sheep he fought for the sheep but there were still some giants out there that needed to be taken care of and the task he was about to enter into would affect his brethren and would assure them about who was their God. And it would give them strength and confidence to pursue their enemies. They were sitting carrying in the, in, behind the, the lines, as it were. And Goliath was coming out and challenging them. And they were afraid of the enemy of God. And then David came. And he took off five stones and he threw with his sling, and a stone entered the giant's head, and he fell. This gave his brethren strength. This gave his brethren confidence to pursue after the enemies of God. I hope and pray that we go out after the enemies of God, because it gives the rest of us strength to do so. Folks, allow me to say this. It's always right to fight against the enemies of God. And I'm not talking about the enemies down the street. We wrestle not, or fight not, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, or groups of evil angels, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, the spiritual forces of wickedness in a supernatural sphere. That's who we fight against. I don't think that many Christians understand this. Uh, the evil that is out there. Uh, no wonder we're living in a woke society. Uh, no wonder governments are making very unwise decisions. Getting back to David. He fought to protect the sheep. He was a good steward of the things his father had given him responsibility for. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And a good example of this is Peter. And he had his faults. But in Luke 5 and verse 3, the Lord asked him to thrust out a little from the land. And Peter obeyed. Then the Lord said in verse 4, Launch out into the deep. 
And folks, when we obey in the little things, then the Lord will thrust us out with the deeper things of the word of God. 1 Peter 4, for, for, 1 Peter 4 verse 10 is a good verse to bring this section closed in and in a couple of minutes we'll be finished. 1 Peter 4 and verse 10 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So David was a servant. David was a steward. David was a son. First Samuel 17, 17, 18, and 20, and verses 17 to 19, the father gives the son a job to do. And in verse 20, he tells us, he rose up in the morning, left his sheep with the keeper, and took and went as his father commanded him. And in all this, David is a wonderful type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The father gives the son a responsibility. God the father. And he rose up and he went on a long journey to this sin-cursed world. And he did what his father commanded him. He is a son, son of God, God the Son. He was obedient to his father. He came to do thy will, he says. He traveled a long way to defeat the giant. He was also a wonderful servant. Behold my servant in whom my soul delighteth. I think it's Isaiah 42. He was also a great steward who knows his sheep by name and gave his life to secure the lives of the sheep and was able to say it is finished for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son let's pray our gracious God and our loving heavenly father again we give thee thanks for thy word we thank thee, Father, for the simplicity of it. We thank thee, Father, that we can delve into it and look at the details. We thank thee, Father, that we can apply these things into our lives. And we do pray, Lord, that others who could be here might be seen to be.